Now, if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. We're going to be there today. We're going to go through the entire chapter today. Uh, We're in our sermon series called Courageous Hope. Uh, we, we started this a few weeks ago with Pastor Sean, and uh, it's been great. We, we, we took a little break last week with Father's Day, and now we're jumping right back in to our topic today, which is courage. Our topic today is courage. The root word in the Latin for courage is core, which means heart or passion. C- consider, consider the movie from the 90s, Braveheart. That's kind of the ultimate picture, maybe not the ultimate picture, but it's a great picture of courage. Uh, you have William Wallace fighting, for, fighting valiantly for his people as he fights against the stronger adversary who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy from his people. That's a, a picture of courage. And I think for us, courage is one of those things that we hope to apply to a situation, a circumstance, a fear, a struggle. Sometimes it's a perceived thing that we're dealing with, or it's a real issue, a concern in our lives that we hope to apply courage to that thing that we face. That's what courage is. And so today in our, in our, in our story today, we're going to see courage on display with three men. But before we get there, we have to consider something that I think will resonate with all of us. And it's, it's kind of our experience of the circumstance, our experience of the fears that flow from the circumstance we're facing in life, if we're going to apply courage. There's a few ways we experience fear. For, for example, the first one is sometimes we run from fear. We have fear in our lives and we have an unhealthy response to a circumstance and it brings about fear. We, we run in a way where it might cause us to cope with alcohol, drugs, some of us pornography, extramarital relationships, or just running in unhealthy ways. We run from our fear. The second one is we run to our fear. In these cases, we've named the fear and we've decided to just give our hearts to it. We go deep into research and study to figure out how we can get around the outcome we fear most. It might be manipulation of relationships and family or work or or outside of your work. Or it might be just trying to manipulate the outcomes the best way you can. Run to our fear. The third one, you you notice fear is not even in this one. But we run the race of faith. We run with faith. I'll add to that. We run courageously with faith. I I submit to you today that we want to be the kind of people that do number three. We want to run with faith. And again, to add to that, run courageously with faith in our lives. So my question to you, as we're considering this idea of courage, this concept of courage, how do you experience your fears? How do you experience what it is that you're facing in your life right now? What's your experience of these things? You find yourself running Do you find yourself uh, running to it? Or do you you find yourself running with faith? We're going to see today, like I said, about courage. We're going to see three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, face something challenging head on. These men uh, were from royal nobility, uh, from the nation of Israel. Around 605 BC before Christ, 
King Nebuchadnezzar came in and he besieged the nation of Israel. And when he besieged the nation of Israel, he took thousands of Jews back with him to Babylon. And so you can imagine that if you were someone who was taken from your homeland to another country, you've lost everything. You've lost all of your finances. You've lost your home. You've lost key relationships. All you have left, just like these men, all they had left was their identity and their faith in God. This is a moment of, I would say, desolation for their lives to be brought to a new place. So this is where we meet these men. Now, they're a few years into this time in this new kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. And so let's turn in our Bibles there to, uh, to, Rome, to um, Daniel 3. And let's read this story and see what the Lord has to teach us about courage. As we look into the anatomy of courage and we figure what we can draw from biblical courage for us today. Let's look at the story. It starts like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So 60 cubits is 90 feet. Think about that. 90 feet high and pure gold. This must have taken years to build this. All for this moment that King Nebuchadnezzar has planned. Here's the next verse. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of this image he had set up. So he's getting all of his powerful leaders together, all of the people that have control and power in his government. He's getting them together for a very special worship service. That's a dedication of this idol. And typical to the culture and the times, they would have a herald who would come out and who would say the words to commence this time. And he says these words, the herald says, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn and the flute and the, this and the zither and the lyre and the harp and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. We all came in here today to sing songs of praise to God, the God of the Bible. We came today to hear from what Christ has done. We came in here to worship today. In the same way, the same type of setting, they came into the room to worship this idol. And they all bowed down very low to worship that idol. Now, I want you to notice something real, real important here. When he says every nation and every peoples, uh, this is true in a lot of ways. King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful person, one of the most powerful people in the world at this time, because he had beaten uh, the Assyrians 
and other huge uh, leaders in the world at the time. And so he had taken those people, people that were leaders in those other nations he beat, and he put them in positions of authority in his kingdom. So they were there before him, and this was his authoritative moment to say, now I am your king, and you will worship my gods. So what happens next? Here we go. At this time, the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has, in, has issued a decree that everyone who hears and the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and the pipe, and all kinds of music, they must fall down in worship. And that whoever does not fall down in worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. I'm not sure why they did this, but I can imagine that it's about their position. It's about their gods. And these Jews stand against them. How's the Nebuchadnezzar going to respond to this? Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? Here's the divine response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will not bow. We will not bow. We will not bow. We will not bow before your idols, before your gods, before your customs. All we have left, all we have left is our identity and our God. And we will not bow. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. With his attitude, which once was good towards them, his attitude. It says his attitude changed towards them. And he, he ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army 
to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men were wearing their, their robes, their trousers, their turbans, and all their clothing, and were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was so hot, that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So remember, they're in the furnace. And now all the leaders that were there are watching. They're, they're looking back. They're watching these men get thrown into the furnace. And they're, they're, they're standing there going, okay, they're in this furnace. They're going to die. All the, all the rulers, all the people, they're all watching this spectacle. They're seeing the soldiers that were supposed to throw them in the furnace die with them in the furnace. But what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors crowded around them and they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor were there, nor were nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire even on them. So this is an amazing miracle. They're sitting back and everyone that was watching to see them burn in this spectacle is now watching them go, what has just happened? They went in tied up, they've come out untied and they don't even smell like smoke. How's this possible? How would they respond? Well, let me tell you how King Nebuchadnezzar responds. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied my commands, and they were willing to give up their very lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree today, that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must be cut into pieces. And their houses turned into rubble, piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the scripture says, the king promoted Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Whew. Wow. The crowd goes, ah, amazing. Today we're talking about courage. If this isn't courage, I don't know what is. I want us to consider how we can respond to this kind of courage. I want us to consider how we can take on this kind of courage and be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's three ways I, I believe we can, we can do this. <laughs> three ways. The first one is the conviction. That these men had conviction, period. 
Let's see it. They said in response to King Nebuchadnezzar's ask, his demand, here's their response. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able, keyword, he is able to deliver us from it. They believed that God could do it. They knew he could. They believed he could. Why do they believe this? Well, I told you earlier that they were from a family of nobility. They were from the line of King David. They were from the nation of Israel. If you're from the nation of Israel and you're from nobility, you had the best education. You had the best training. You had faithful parents. You grew up in a home that honored God. Now, education for an Israelite from someone from Jerusalem, the education was rooted in God, period. It was about learning the ways of God. You memorized what's, what's called the Pentateuch. You memorized the first five books of the Bible. You knew God. Your schedule is built around God. In fact, you have the Sabbath day every day. Once a week, you dedicate time to God. Every morning, most good Jewish boys and girls would wake up with their family and they would read this, 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 this statement to themselves and to their God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. His commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk, walk along the side of the road, when you lay down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. This is the kind of family that these men came from. They were prepared for this moment. It didn't just happen to them. They were preparing their entire life. And, and, and also as men, they were, they were the kind of men, most likely, that memorized the things God had for them. For example, like, like Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor walk in the path of the sinner, nor stand in the counsel of the ungodly, or sit with, with the mockers. And instead, this person meditates on his word day and night. He's like a person who's planted by streams of water. And in its season, everything he does flourishes. His, his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Or maybe like Psalm 119. In my heart I have hidden your word that I may not sin against you, God. These are the kind of men they were. They knew God's word. They knew God's spirit. They were faithful to God. They on that day, <laughs> when they said, drawing a line in the sand, I will not bow, I will not bow. They were prepared for that day. That day, they thought about that day in their minds before it got there. Because the Bible says in the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not worship other gods or put another god before your god, right? They knew that. Great quote here. This professor who, uh, who does business at, at Harvard Business School trains his, 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 uh, his business students with this, uh, this thought. He says to them, you need to know in advance what your walkaway conditions are. And practice your resignation speech for every job you take. 
Otherwise, you can be lulled into doing almost anything step by step. You need to know where the line is for you. You, you can't wait when it comes to sexual morality. You can't wait till you're there and your palms are sweating and you have a decision to make. When it comes to financial integrity, you can't wait until the cash drawer is open and you've got a decision to make. You've got to make your stand in advance. You've got to be ready. That's how it works. That's what they did. You might be asking, okay, well, Pastor Jeremy, how do I gain these convictions you're talking about? I, I want to be like them too, but I don't have these convictions. How do I get them? Well, first you start with secondhand convictions. Secondhand conviction is something you heard someone else say. Your grandma says, your grandma says God is faithful. You know, for me, I help my parents with, their, with, our, with our family business. I do some of the finances. I never forget about uh, one December ago, I called my mom and I was concerned about some sales tax. We, were, we needed to pay and we were a little behind on it. And she said to me, God never forsakes the righteous. She always says that to me and to my dad. That's, that's a secondhand thing and that's good. That's where we all start. We all start there with secondhand. The pastor once said, my friend once said, grandma always said, but you can't stay there. You've got to move to firsthand convictions. How do you get that? Well, let me show you something. You got to open up God's word. You wouldn't know God unless he told you who he was. We can take a walk in the mountains and we can see the nature of God in creation but God has revealed specifically and specially through his word. So you must read God's word and allow him to reveal himself to you and give you direction. And then good news, he gives you his spirit to walk you into the convictions that you need to have. So he'll help you outline some of those lines that you're gonna to start to draw in your life. So when the time comes, you go, oh, uh, not that one. Not today, not today. I'm not losing sleep over that. So when we have circumstances that come in life, we go, okay, no, I've got the convictions of God that are going to drive me through this. Second thing we see here is the promise. The promise. The promise of God. These men were rooted in the promise of God. It says it right here. They said he's able. And then he said, then they said this, and he will deliver us. Key word. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They said past tense, able. Now they said he will. This kind of faith doesn't happen overnight. These men were waiting to trust God and to take him at his word and to hold on to the promises he put before them. How do I know this? There's, I think there's three ways that or three things they were probably thinking about when they did this. The first one is a promise given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. God went to Abraham and he said, he said, through you, Abraham, you're going to have a child. And that child is going to be a blessing to all nations. And through those, through those people, through those children, there's going to be a savior who's going to bless all people, Abraham. And then another one, the second 
I think, promise he was probably holding on to was a promise given to King David, the second king of Israel, where God came to King through Nathan the prophet. This is in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7. He said to King David, On your throne, this throne of Israel, there will come a king that is greater than any king. He's going to be a king forever. That's another promise. The third thing, I think that these men knew. I, 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 could, I could just uh, guarantee it almost. They knew this. And this is what a prophet, the prophet Jeremiah said. The prophet Jeremiah was around a similar season. And he prophesied that the nation of Israel was going to go into captivity and slavery for 70 years. The same 70 years that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were looking face to face at at the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. It says this, the whole council or the whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king, that's these nations being Israel, will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, God says, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation in the land of Babylonians for their guilt. These men knew these three things. These are the promises of God that were not only past tense God had done, but future tense God was going to fulfill the promise he had for them. You see, for us, we've got to remember that there are going to be circumstances in life that we're going to face. And if we don't have promises of God that help us to keep the right perspective, we're going to get lost in the day-to-day struggles. One author of a book uh, called Becoming a King, Morgan Snyder, he said these words, Live uh, in the day and measure by the decade. Live in the day. Recognize that you have the day you have today, right? Live in the day. But, but think a decade out. Think a, think a decade out. And then look back a decade. What did you do the last year, God? What are you going to do this next? So, so you don't get lost in just the day-to-day stuff. You're thinking about, you're measuring by the decade. But I, I would add to that plan for eternity. <laughs> Live in the day, measure by the decade, but plan for eternity. You have to have an eternal perspective on the circumstances that you're facing. Because if you don't have the right paradigm, the right way to frame what you're dealing with, you're going to lose track. So you need an eternal perspective, a paradigm shift. One popular author tells a story about being on a subway. And on this subway, he, he, he says it like this. He goes, I, I walked in the subway, I sat down, and everyone was in the subway, and uh, they were enjoying themselves. Some people were reading the paper. He said, I pulled out a book. It was a nice, peaceful, serene time, and people were listening to their headphones, and it was just a really nice time. Then in comes this father and his two kids crashing through the door. They're loud, they're rambunctious. They even snatched the paper from the guy sitting next to me. He thought the audacity of this father to not discipline his two boys. Why would he do this? He finally, the the author said, I finally mustered up the courage to talk to this dad. So he nudges the dad. He goes, sir, sir, excuse me. Your kids are so disruptive. Would you please calm your sons down? We were having a great ride in the subway today. The father replies, oh, um, I I didn't realize they were were doing that. Uh, We just got, an hour ago, we just left the hospital because my wife just died. 
and I didn't realize they were acting this way. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. You see, in a moment, the story flips. Before you know it, this author is faced with the mortality of someone else that he was just frustrated with. And he has to change his perspective. So in the same way for us, we must have a promise-driven perspective on how we look at our lives, promises of God. I, I, I never forget this moment in the life of Christ where he stood with his disciples and they were concerned. They just heard that he's going to die. And he looks at them and he goes, do not let your hearts be troubled, but believe in God and believe also in me. For my father has many rooms in his home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back. If it weren't true, I wouldn't tell you this. He says, for I know the way. And he goes, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one will find hope. No one will find restoration. No one will find heaven. No one will find, no one will find the Father except through me, Jesus. You see, friends, we must place our faith on Jesus. When times are tough, your courage won't be enough. When times are tough, your strength won't be enough. When you need answers, your wisdom won't be enough. It's his courage. It's his strength. It's his wisdom that leads us through our lives. So we must put our faith on Jesus. So what are, what are you placing your faith in? Are you standing before the 90-foot idol of King Nebuchadnezzar? Or are you walking with the God who saves Jesus? I invite you today to let his courage be your courage, to let his wisdom be your wisdom, to let his strength be your strength by putting your faith in Jesus today. Do it now. Do not delay. Do it now. Put your faith in Jesus. The third thing we learned from this story, beautiful. We learned about the convictions. We got to draw a line in the sand. This is who I am. Second thing we learned was future. There's eternity. I stand before God who loves me and who saved me, and that's my hope. The third thing is called the contentment, the contentment. So we heard him say, he's able, he will. Now here's, here's the even greater news. <laughs> but even if he does not, but even if he does not, we want you to know, King Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if, wow, to have that faith, even if. Fast forward all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You meet, you meet a man, man named the Apostle Paul, saved on the road to Damascus by Jesus himself. He says these words, very beautiful words. Um, they go like this. In the book of Philippians, he says this. For I have learned to be content, whatever circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. 
I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the contentment that drove Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were content with the outcome, whatever it was. They prayed, they desired, they hoped, but no matter what God did, they were content with the outcome. In Romans 12, uh, verse 15, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, sometimes in our life, we're gonna pray for things and it's gonna be like, yes, this happened. I prayed and God delivered. I wanted this. I worked really hard and this happened. I built that business. I started that family. I met that girl. I met that guy. I went to that school. This thing happened. God was good. Rejoice. We have those moments in life and it's good. And we, as a family in God, we want to rejoice with our friends who have good things happen to them, right? That's what we want. And so I pray for you if, if God is blessing you. I pray that God would continue to bless you, that he would bless your job, that he would bless your family, that he would bless the labor of your work, that he would bless your wisdom, that he would bless your faith, and that you would be able to rejoice with those who rejoice by the faith we have in God and the experience of that faith. The verse also goes on to say this, though. It says, mourn with those who mourn, because not every prayer is answered. Not every outcome is favorable. You know, you, you, you get the bad diagnosis that doesn't turn out good. You lose your job and you struggle to find a new job. There's all types of situations that you can imagine even right now that probably you know all too well that haven't gone your way. And so in the same way, I, I bless you. If you are in a season right now where things have not gone your way and your, your prayers have not been answered the way you'd hoped they'd been answered, I pray blessing on you today. We mourn with you for your loss, for your struggle, for your concern. You see, God is with us. God is faithful. So in all these things, um, there's, a, there's a moment that God calls us to, to get out, to... to to see our way through and to have that, that even if type of faith. And the Apostle Paul really gives us an insight to that in a few verses before what I just read. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the Peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, and God will bring you his peace in your mind. The next part says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, conviction. Whatever you have learned, whatever you have received or heard from me, the Apostle Paul, or anyone that wrote God's word, whatever you've seen or heard or received, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You see, it's us holding on to the convictions of God and it's walking in those things as they lead us in our life through the challenges, through the ups, through the downs, through the things we get to rejoice about. It's practicing these things. That's how we endure. You know, I, I was uh, talking to my, 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 my dear brother, Pastor Steve Day, I think it was early, earlier last week, the week before last, and we were just talking about some of our disciplines and trying to be faithful, and he was sharing something, and we, we both were just kind of having this amen moment, and we said to ourselves, and even out loud, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Right? So we stand on those things to be content in what he's called us to. Now, uh, this quote's really great. It says, fear says what if. Fear says what if. I'm going to stop there because it's the what ifs that drive us sometime in our experience of fears. What if? You know, we have amazing imaginations. Our, our imaginations can be used for good things like, oh, creativity and wonder. And our imagination sometimes bring us into what if land. And what if lands applied to all of the bad things in our life. So fear says what if, but then faith says, faith says even if. Even if. I'm going to trust you through this thing I'm facing. I'm going to give it to you. Because in the even if faith, we can endure. Because like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they chose to endure and have an even if faith, King Nebuchadnezzar, he ended up in the book of Daniel giving his life to God. He honored the Most High God later in a few chapters, kind of a spoiler alert here as we're going through the book. But King Nebuchadnezzar does give his life to God. They do use their positions of authority to bless people. And so the even if faith is something that we say, God, even if I'm going to rejoice you, even if... I might mourn and it's going to be okay, but I'm going to get through whatever it is that I'm facing in my life. So here's a question for you. How are you experiencing fears in your life? How are you experiencing the circumstances that concern you in your life right now? Even now, consider those things that you've been praying about, that you've been maybe losing sleep about. It might be perceived, it might be a real threat. God wants to bring you through this and strengthen you in this. You've got to name it before God and offer it to him. Have the convictions that he's going to be able to get you through, that he will deliver you. And even if it doesn't go your way, he'll praise him. And you'll decide not to bow before any other God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the one true God. We will not bow to any other gods. 
We will not bow. We will not bow. We know that it's you and you alone that we serve. And so today, I I pray for all the people here today, those of us who have faith in you, who believe these things, and then those of us who are still wrestling with like, okay, is this a a real story? Is Is this really you, God? Are you really calling me, God? All those people who are here today, Lord, we lift everyone up to you in this room. Everyone who's listening online. We lift everyone up to you in prayer right now, Father. We ask you to help us to bring our concerns to you. Help us to bring our fears to you. Even now, the thoughts in our hearts and our minds, quiet our hearts as we bring the concerns to you. Give us the beliefs we need to know to to endure. Give us that that, that passion to trust you. And Lord, we, we, don't, we don't demand the outcomes always go our way, Lord, but we, we want your will. And, and Lord, we also ask you, Lord, that you, would, that you would give us the courage that comes from you. You give us the wisdom that comes from you. And that you would give us the strength that comes from you and you alone. We ask your blessing on this day. In the name of Jesus, amen.